Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's good to be with you today. As Ian said earlier, if this is your first time here, we are thankful that God has brought you to gather with us this morning. We'd love uh, to meet you. We actually are going to have a uh, connect meeting after the service today just to tell you a little bit more about Sojourn. So if that's you, if you want to learn more, I just want to invite you now uh, to that. I'll remind you about it at the end as well. But man, it's good uh, to be together with everyone this morning. Uh, we are, have been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount uh, for the last few months. This morning we're taking a, a bit of a break from that uh, because this morning is uh, a special morning. And so um, we're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning. And so if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? We'll have somebody bring one around to you. I want you to be able to read along with us uh, out of God's Word and know that that's a gift to you. If you don't actually own a copy of the Scriptures, please feel free to take that home with you. Uh, and if you know somebody else that needs a copy of the Bible, feel free to grab one of those. But as we start our time together, as we do each week, let's just go to the Lord in prayer uh, and ask Him to bless this time. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning uh, we just come before you and we just pray, uh, we want to give you praise um, that you are faithful, that you are good, that we can come and gather together under the banner and the name of Jesus this morning, who you sent to us to rescue us. And so this morning we, we are here as a, uh, as a gift of your grace. And so we pray that as we open up your word now, uh, that you would do a work in our hearts and li- lives. We pray, Father, that you would help us today by your spirit through your living and active word. Father, I can't uh, preach on my own strength or abilities. I am desperate for your spirit to work in and through me and in and through the hearts of the people that are gathered here this morning. We pray that you would do that work. Father, as we look at a, a specific text this morning and really a, 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 t- a topic, uh, Lord, that's, that's near and dear to your heart, we pray, Father, that it would become near and dear to our hearts as we walk out of this place today. And so we just ask that you bless this time, bless us because we've been here And we just want to lift up your name this morning. And so we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I think for for a lot of us, there's probably things that all of us look forward to uh, every year. uh, When when the year comes and comes and goes, we kind of different seasons, we look forward to that. If it's the beginning of fall, kind of the end of August, we look forward to some of us college football season. It was a big crazy day yesterday for a college football fan. Some of the top five teams lost. Some of you don't care about that, but it's fun. Uh, So you look forward to the start of college football season. For some of us, we look forward to the season premiere of a favorite TV show, uh, something we look forward to every year. If you're a Sherlock fan, we know January the 1st, Sherlock's coming back on. So you're looking forward to that, to start the new year off with a little uh, Benedict Cumberbatch on, on, on January the 1st. Uh, if you are a coffee fan, you know, uh, maybe, well, if you're a coffee fan, you may not actually like this, but Starbucks Red Cup, you can't wait for the Red Cup to come out. And some of you freaked out because a green cup came out. Uh, that wasn't their, their holiday cup, their Christmas cup, so you're already looking forward to that Red Cup coming back out. Or maybe you actually just look forward to Christmas. Uh, it's already that time of year, you know, Halloween ended, stores put up their Christmas decorations, and maybe some of you have already started to do that, but we're getting into that season where we're looking forward to Christmas starting. Or if you're, if you're um, fortunate enough, you maybe look forward to taking a vacation every year and going to that favorite vacation spot year after year. One of the things I look forward to in the life of our church is today. Uh, today is Orphan Sunday, what we call Orphan Sunday. And Orphan Sunday is a time when we, as a local church here in Fairfax, participate with a ton of other churches all over this country to really celebrate and talk about uh, God's heart for, and really our heart for, adoption and and foster care and orphan care as a church. And so we're going to take some time this morning to look at that. 
As I said, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for the last few months, and something we've learned in that is what life looks like when you and I come close to the King, when we come close to Jesus. We've seen what Jesus calls us to when we're seeking to follow Him and live our life in a way that's honoring to Him. And we've experienced new life in and through Him that it should change things for us. Something we've said throughout the series in the Sermon on the Mount, we've even said through the life of this church, is when the gospel comes to bear on your life, it changes everything for you. It changes everything. Your identity is changed. The scriptures say that you've been transferred from one kingdom to another kingdom. Your citizenship is different now when Jesus is king. And so when we look at this, uh, this topic this morning, we're going to find it's not very different from that. It's right in line with living in and in light of the king and his kingdom. Because right now where we find ourselves are a people We once were not a people, but now we are. We are God's people. We are kingdom people. But we find ourselves in this now and not yet reality. The king has come, but the fullness of his kingdom hasn't come yet. It's not difficult for us to look around and see that brokenness still exists in our world, that sin is still present, that darkness is all around us. And so we we struggle in this place of knowing that Jesus calls us to live a certain way, but yet there's still brokenness in this world. The kingdoms of this world are still seeking to assert themselves, to take control, to call us to themselves. The kingdom of self that remains within us continues to assert itself. So you don't need to follow Jesus. Live the way that you want to live. But we know this is not the end. We know that our king, he does rule and reign, and he will come again to bring about the fullness of his kingdom, where there'll be no more corruption, no sin, no darkness, no disease, no death, no brokenness, no shame, and no aloneness. But where we find ourselves now in this time is in a place of longing, a place of waiting. It's about to be Advent season. The last Sunday of this month will be the beginning of what we call Advent. Advent is about longing for Jesus to come. And so we find ourselves in this place of longing, but as you and I wait for the return of our king, as we wait for Jesus to come again to eradicate brokenness, to eradicate darkness and death and sin, we're not called just to sit around. We're not called just to go off and seclude ourselves from society and from our neighbors and from everything else just to hide and wait. No, we're not called to sit and be idle and twiddle our thumbs as we wait for Jesus to come again. No, our king calls us to something now. He calls us to do good. He calls us to bring about kingdom renewal in our culture, in our world, even now. It's a part of what it means to be a sojourner. To be a sojourner, not just the name of the church, but as a follower of Christ who's a sojourner, means that we know this place is not our home, yet while we're here, we seek to do good for those that we're in and around. This Sunday will be the fifth time as a church that we've participated in Orphan Sunday. The fifth time. And since the beginning of this church, our our heart and our desire is to make adoption and orphan care a part of the culture of this church. That it's normal for us to talk about it. It's normal for us to encourage one another to consider how we might participate as individuals and as a church in caring for orphans all around the world. We've preached on it. We talk about it in our membership class. And it's something critical uh, to who we are as a church. And here's why. Because orphan care and adoption are near and dear. They're close to the heart of our God and our King. And if they're close to His heart, then it's His people that should be close to our hearts as well. 
And so this morning, we're going to jump into the book of Psalms, into Psalm 82. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip open to that. And what we're going to see in Psalm 82 this morning is really an assessment on the world. The psalmist is is talking about uh, the nature and the reality of the world and its brokenness. And then we're also going to see the call of our God and what it means for you and me as we find ourselves as strangers, as we find ourselves as sojourners, as foreigners in a foreign land and citizens of the kingdom that is not of this world, what we're called to do. And so my hope this morning is very simple. My hope this morning is that God, through his word, would stir your heart to see his heart. And that as you see God's heart, that it would compel you to participate in orphan care and adoption, no matter where you find yourself in life right now. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into Psalm 82. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Psalm 82, it's only eight verses. We're going to read all eight verses this morning. This is what... Uh, what the psalmist says. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God's son of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. As we read Psalm 82, it might sound a little bit funny to you. Um, Psalms are a a collection of songs and poems that the church uses, uh, has always used, and and we even use today to to promote and draw us into both personal and corporate worship. And so it talks about a lot of different things. But what we see in this particular psalm is a a structure uh, that a lot of psalms use, and it's called a chiastic structure. So that's a fancy word. But basically, this is what it means. It means that the beginning and the end of the psalm are very similar to one another. So we see that in verse 1 and verse 8, that it starts with God and it ends with God. We see in verses 2 and in 5 through 7 an accusation and the consequences of the rebellion of these people. But right in the middle in verses 3 and 4 there's a call to faithful action. Verses 3 and 4 kind of are the tent pole of this psalm. So what happens before and what happens after are really referring to the same thing with that tent pole of verses 3 and 4. So it's kind of the structure of this psalm. So to walk through it, what we're going to do is break this into two points, though, to help us understand what's going on here and what it means for you and me. The first point is this, the heart of our God, and the second point, the hands of his people. The heart of our God and the hands of his people. Let's start with the heart of our God. As I said, this psalm starts with God. But notice what the psalmist says. He says, God has taken his place or his seat in the divine council in the midst of the gods. Now, if you've been around this church for a while, or maybe you've been a follower of Christ for a while, or you know something about Christianity, like, hold on a second, I thought there was only one true God. What is this talking about? Gods. What's going on here? Well, the word gods here is used in kind of a poetic form. It's a poetic word to describe the rulers of the world. These representative rulers that God has allowed to be in place. And that's something important for us to understand here and now, even in light of this last week in our own country, that there is no ruler in any place, in any part of the world, that God has not allowed to be there. Now, that doesn't mean that that person is doing good. 
It doesn't mean that that person is honoring God. But God in His sovereignty has allowed all rulers to be there. So in some way, they're representative of God's power in being in that position. Now, pagan nations, especially during the time when this psalm was written, oftentimes thought and asserted the fact that their rulers were actually divine. That they were actually God incarnate. And so we have rulers like Xerxes or the Roman emperors. They all believed that they were born from or came from a lineage of gods. And so in some way, this is what this is saying. It's like you you so-called gods, you rulers of the masses, guess what? The one true God has actually come in and he sat down and he's about to tell you some things. He's about to bring some truth to you. He's going to hold judgment. But this judgment is not over the people It's over these rulers. The judge among the judges has come. The king among kings has come. The God among gods has come. So why is he coming to judge them? Well, he tells us in verse 2. He asks this question of them, this rhetorical question. He's saying, look, you've been unjust. You've been unjust in your duties and your leadership. You've judged people unjustly. You've showed partiality. You don't care for people who society rejects or marginalizes. People in powerful positions should not seek to only give favor to those who also are in favorable and high positions. God puts them in place to care for those that society rejects. Society society pushes to the side. They can't actually give anything in return. He's essentially saying, you powerful people, you favor, favor the favorable, but you neglect the unlovable, as the world would call them. Now, notice something here in, about this psalm. In your margins, and probably most of your Bibles, if you're reading from the ESV, which is what we preach from, there's a word after verse 2, over to the right-hand side in italics, it says, Selah. Some Bibles have this, some probably don't. And, and it's a word that's in a lot of Psalms. And we're not exactly sure uh, what that word means. It's just a Hebrew word there. But it's likely a musical directive. Because again, these are songs. And this musical directive is probably telling uh, the congregation of people to pause, be silent, and reflect on what's just been said. So God comes into the room. You can picture this. The psalmist is kind of painting this picture for us. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Be silent. Think about that. It's like God drops the mic and just waits. Just waits before he goes on. And what's the result? What will come? Well, if we jump down to verses 5 through 7 in this chiastic structure, we get a glimpse of this. He says, you don't understand. You walk in darkness. And as you walk in darkness, you lead other people into darkness and oppression. And as you do that, the earth shakes because of your injustice. Because of these leaders' ignorance and neglect, there's chaos and confusion. And so he says, you are God, sons of the Most High. He's saying basically, look, you are image bearers of God. You may not actually be God, but you do bear the image of God as a human being. You've been placed in leadership and power by the one true God in that way. But guess what? You're not God. You're going to die. Just like everyone else, you will die. You are not above the justice and judgment of God, no matter what position you hold. Now again, this might be particularly helpful for us this Sunday, the Sunday after our own election. As one pastor said this week, one day America and all its presidents will be a footnote in history, but God's kingdom will never end. See, no perpetrator of injustice will last forever. But until that one true 
king comes, until Jesus returns, until he brings the fullness of his kingdom to fruition, we, as his people, who find ourselves as sojourners in a foreign land and in a foreign kingdom, we have to endure and strive to live out the reality of the, re- the reality that this place is not our home and his kingdom is not of this world, that the ethics that he calls us to are different than what the world promotes around us. But see, in the midst of this indictment from God, we actually see God's heart. We see it through this negative rebuke, but also this call to action. In verses 3 and 4, a call to action that extends far beyond those in power. It extends to God's people. It extends to you and me. See, the heart and call of our king is to give justice to the weak and fatherless, to maintain the right of the afflicted and destitute, to rescue the weak and needy, to deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And God's calling them, instead of favoring the favorable, to actually reach out to those that society deems unlovable, to the marginalized, to the lowly, to the broken, to the weak, to the poor, to the orphan. In a broken world full of sin and darkness, God's desire is to bring hope. God's desire is to bring restoration and peace. He desires to bring shalom, to bring perfect harmony into a world of brokenness and disorder and chaos, to bring that about again. But this is not some political agenda. This is not some popular agenda. We can look at these things and think, well, this is kind of a cool thing to do right now, to care for people in these situations. No, this has been written a long, long time ago before 2016. This is who God is. We can look at Psalm 68.5. Psalm 68.5 says, The father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Do, do you see what the psalmist is saying there? God isn't simply calling us to care for the fatherless. He identifies himself with the fatherless. He says, that's who I am. I am the father of the fatherless. That's who our God is. He's a God who gives justice. He maintains the rights. The, the, really, the, the idea is the dignity of humans made in his image. No matter what color their skin is, no matter what country they're from, no matter whether they're male or female, he maintains the dignity of humans. He's a rescuer. He's a deliverer. But friends, this is not just on display on these, in these psalms that we see. It's throughout the scriptures And it's put on most clear display, this reality, this language, this heart of our God in the gospel. The reality for all of us that we either were or currently are lost. That's where all of us are in this room this morning. We either were or we currently are lost. Strangers with no hope. Rebels deserving of death because we sought to assert ourselves as the rulers of our own lives, to go our own way, to worship other things and people instead of God alone, who's worthy of all worship, who's worthy of all of our lives. And we've been trying ever since to get back to God, but on our own terms, by our own ways, by our own methods, by trying to be good people, by our own work. But all of those things fall short. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've been trying to earn your way back to God. Maybe you've been trying to get back to him, to show him in some way your idea of God that you are worthy to be included. But all of those things fall short because the problem within all of us is that our sin still remains. And just like a child does not decide to be born or an orphan cannot fabricate parents for themselves, left to ourselves, we have no hope. But God, but God being rich in mercy, God who is a loving Father, God who is a Redeemer, 
made a way. And the way that He's made for you and for me is through adoption. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-8, through 8, the Apostle Paul is giving praise and worship to this reality. Listen to this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's giving worship and honor to Him who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. For what purpose? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. Holy and blameless. We've been separated from Him because of our sin, but He purposed to make us holy and blameless before Him. And then it says this, in love, in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. It's through Christ that we're adopted into God's family. See, everything about our relationship with God is wrapped up in the fact that God is the father of the fatherless. It was always God's intention since sin entered into the world to not just forgive people of their sin through Christ, but to actually bring them into his family, to adopt them into his family as his sons and daughters. That's absolutely amazing. God didn't just overlook your sin. He paid for it in full on the cross through Christ, and then he brought you in. In some ways, we could say adoption is the paramount thing, that it's because he wanted to bring you into his family that he sent his son to die in your place. So let me ask you this morning, have you experienced this adoption, this gift of grace? Because Jesus can be your peace today. It's in, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, believing everything that he said and did for you is for you. And that by faith you can trust in him and you can come today to the arms of a father whose arms are wide to bring you in because he sent his son to rescue you and redeem you. Sojourn, this is the heart of our God. This is who he is. You may be thinking, well, what does this have to do with the, what the psalmist says in Psalm 82? It has everything to do with that. See, as God's people, rescued from our own sin, saved from death, transferred into his kingdom, adopted into his family, what that means for you and I now is that we don't look for princes or presidents to be agents of hope in a broken world. Because oftentimes, in the case of this psalm, those people can actually be the propagators of further systemic brokenness. No, we don't look to them to be agents of hope. We, as God's people, are agents of hope. See, a truth we have to grasp today, church, is this, that the hope for the weak, the hope for the fatherless in this world, even now, is not found in rulers and governments. It's found in God and his people a people who have been radically transformed by and in and through the gospel, a people who once themselves understand that they were lost, alone, orphaned in this world, but who now have been adopted into the family of God. See, if you know Christ, the reality for you this morning is that you are a recipient of hope and healing. And as a recipient of hope and healing, you can now be one who gives hope and healing to those in need. So sojourn, orphan care is not a social issue, it's not a government issue, it's a gospel issue. So what do we do with this? What leads to our second point, the hands of his people, the hands of his people. See, when you and I understand this truth, this reality, we can use our hands to embody the heart of our God. We can use our hands to embody the heart of our God. 
If this is the heart of God, to give justice to the weak and the fatherless, to maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, to rescue the weak and the needy, to deliver them from the wicked of this world, then it must also be the heart of God's people. We are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says Jesus is the head and we are the body. We are the hands and feet of the kingdom. He calls us to this because only kingdom people can actually understand this. We can only, we're the only ones that can wrap our, our minds around this to have the heart of the king and see it actually manifest itself in our lives. But like everything else we've seen as we've walked through the Sermon on the Mount, is that life in the kingdom is not about mustering up your own strength to carry out these things. It's not about being guilted into doing it. It's not about obligation. It's possible because you've come close to the king, because your life has been changed and transformed, because you've experienced radical grace and mercy. It's because it's who you are now, a child of the king. You know, in the Roman Empire, uh, which, was, which was all over the place during the time of Jesus, in the beginnings of the church. During the, in the Roman Empire, oftentimes, unwanted children were abandoned on the sides of hills and mountains to, to die from exposure or from wild animals. If a, if a family didn't want their child, people would just get rid of them and place them on the sides of these hills outside of the city. The government didn't care. The rulers of the land did nothing about it. But do you know who responded? The church. Jesus' church, this, this kind of ragtag group of people who had encountered the living God through the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus, who oftentimes were poor themselves, oftentimes didn't have a whole lot. They weren't the noblest people of the land. They weren't people in power, positions of power, and had a great reputation for being those kinds of, uh, those kinds of people. But they went out and they cared for these children who had been abandoned. The reason they did that is because they recognized that when they were abandoned on the side of a hill, strangers with no hope, God purposed to adopt them in to his family at great cost to himself. So why wouldn't they also do the same? In church, there's still a great need for us to care for the most vulnerable of this world. There's still a great need, and that's why I want to focus our time on what it looks like to care for orphans, to take up the reality of what God calls us to in verses 3 and 4. There are at least 100 million orphans worldwide. Some estimations say up to 140 or 50 million orphans. In the U.S. alone, there are thousands of children every year who are available and eligible and up for adoption uh, or in the foster care system. In the state of Virginia right now, there's about 1,500 kids in the state that are able to be adopted into families that are currently in the foster care system. And so as God's people, I long for us as a local church here in Fairfax to be a church family that cares about all of life from the womb to the grave. And that we would be a church that cares about all lives, all colors, all ethnicities, all disabilities. See, our culture and our world doesn't. In some cultures and countries, children are abandoned if they are the wrong gender. Children are abandoned if they have disabilities. In our country, children are killed for the very same reasons. As Sho Baraka says in his new song, Excellent, I know that black lives matter and they should matter in the womb. 
man, what would it look like if we as a church sought to care for unwed mothers? Women who become pregnant and are freaking out, not sure what to do with that. What if we as a church sought to love them and care for them and tell them there's another way besides abortion? We want you and we want your child to come into this family. We'll take your child and care for them and raise them as our own. We want to love you and care for you. What would it look like if we took that seriously? What if it would it look like if we as a church went through foster care training to be available and ready to take children into our own homes who are in need? What would it look like if we partnered with organizations to care for global orphans Orphans in need of basic care and basic discipleship and used our resources to resource them. What would it look like if we as a local church were a voice for the voiceless? If we were advocates for justice for the weak and the fatherless who literally have no voice? What would it look like if we as a church encouraged one another to prayerfully consider adopting, either domestically or internationally, to prayerfully consider adopting children that may look different than us, who may have special needs, but need a mommy and a daddy. You know, one of the things that has been the most encouraging to me as a pastor of this church over the last few years is to start to see the the manifestation of fruit in the life of our church through different people and families at this church as we've talked about adoption, as we've talked about orphan care. There are single people who've been a part of this church who are now planning on pursuing adoption if and when they get married. We spent some time with a couple yesterday that used to be uh, at Sojourn, moved out of the area. They were back in town. And and I remember this guy saying that as he came to an orphan Sunday, one Sunday before he was even, had met, I think, the girl that he's married to, had said, man, I want to make adoption a part of my family. I want to make orphan care a part of my family. There's young couples in our church right now, recently married, who've already said, look, we want to make adoption a part of the plans for our future family. And there are families who are in the process of adopting or who have adopted here at Sojourn here and now, some of which because they were challenged to think and pray. See, something we need to understand this morning is that adoption is never plan B. It's never plan B. It might just be a part of God's plan A for you. It's never plan B. This morning, I want to show you a video of one of these families in our church. It's a video that Scott Cooper made. And it's a part of our uh, Sojourn Stories uh, videos. We're putting these on our website. We're showing them on Sunday mornings because we want to testify to God's grace in the lives of people in our church and seeing how God's working in and through their lives. And so I want to show you this video this morning uh, of the Lees. So check this out. I hope it encourages you today. Well, we first came to Sojourn back in 2012, and our first Sunday at Sojourn was on an orphan Sunday. And um, it was just interesting because uh, during that time, Siung and I were going through quite a bit of uh, infertility struggles of our own. It was uh, a a very difficult and painful time um, in our marriage and uh, just a time where we felt very broken and just had been struggling with our faith. During Orphan Sunday, that was where God had first introduced uh, the idea of adoption to us. And, um, and I just remember in particular that Sunday, it was very emotional for me just with where I was um, in my life. So from there, we uh, just continued to pray about this idea. We 
um, uh, sought support and um, much prayer through our family and through our close friends. And then um, I believe the turning point for us was in the fall of 2013, where we really felt God was pressing um, adoption on our hearts. And so we sought the Lord. And, um, and then in February 2014 was where we decided to actively move forward with the uh, decision. It was kind of funny, um, just really uh, how God really just changed and molded our hearts throughout the entire process. I think with, uh, similar to a lot of people, um, a lot of you think about the orphan crisis that's around the world right now, and your heart breaks. Um, but really understanding and thinking through what you can do for it, or is this something that God is really placing in my heart? Um, typically, that's, I think, where a break really occurs and uh, I mean for for myself and I think for Sarah as we were going through the infertility um, challenges this that's the adoption wasn't something that was on the forefront of our minds um, until we tr we did come to sojourn and and I, re I vividly remember that um, where where the pastors were talking about adoption just being something that's within um, the, the heart of our church congregation. So really after February, um, we, we jumped headlong in. I'm, I mean, headlong in before even looking into any aspect of adoption. It was going, okay, God, you want us to do adoption? All right, we're there. We were, we were thankfully too in, in a community group uh, during this time. And, uh, you know, I just thinking back to it all, I just don't even know how we would have worked through a lot of um, uh, our, you know, just the struggles that we had um, had we not had the love and the support from our community group members. Um, so just to have that interaction with them on a week-to-week -week basis and just have them just love us and just care for us, just check in with us, I mean, I can't tell you how much that um, just help sustain us. In December 15th of 2014, um, after a, a year and you know, close to two year journey, uh, we went to pick up uh, Jack. It was just a, a life-changing experience and, and understanding um, just the full scope of what uh, adoption means and then tying that back to our adoption as children in, in God's family. Um, I think as, uh, as an adoptive father, uh, there, there, there are plenty of challenges and times where, where Jack can uh, really be challenging. Um, but uh, with all of that, uh, uh, like my love for him and, <laughs> um, and um, just how he is as, as, as our child, our love for him is just unchanging. It's, he's, he's our child and, and just realizing that just through that glimpse of um, adoption here in this world, what it means to be adopted into God's family as, as we are uh, God's children. We are um, called to be into his family. He brought us into his family. He didn't, we didn't choose to be in his family. He, he chose us. Um, 
and he brought us in there and he loves us unconditionally. Um, and I think that's the uh, powerful message of the gospel. He cares for us. He is merciful to us. Um, he is abundantly graceful um, in all things. And uh, I think that part of it is just such a profound understanding that God really revealed to, to both Sarah and myself um, throughout this adoption process. Can you say hi? <laughs> Amen, amen. Man, it's so good just seeing those small steps. The Lees weren't sure, um, but they began to step out in faith and, and really trust what God might have for them. And maybe you're in that same spot. And I just want to encourage you just to consider what God might be doing. You know, the name of our church is Sojourn because this place isn't our home. And if we know Christ, if Jesus is Lord, then our citizenship is is in the kingdom of God. We find ourselves here and now as outsiders and exiles and sojourners. But as sojourners who are kingdom people, we can seek to bring about that kingdom renewal here and now to care for the fatherless in some way, shape, or form. And for some of you, that might be adoption. For others, it might be other ways and other means. But all of us as God's people have this burden that God's given to us a joy, really, to participate in this. And so this morning, I just want to give you eight practical ways that you can use your hands to embody the heart of your father. Uh, and this is the deal. Whether you may be singing this morning going like, hey man, I'm 19, um, or I, I'm just trying to get through my exams. I don't even know a girl um, <laughs> to even think about getting married, you know, or, or a guy or whatever. And you're like, this is so far down the road. Let me just encourage you not to tune out right now. Um, you can start to think about those things now. You can participate in some things now to be a part of orphan care and adoption and make it a part of your life. So here's the first thing. The first thing is just to talk with families. Talk with families who've actually walked through this. Um, there are several families in our church that have already adopted. I want to tell you, I asked all of them uh, if I could throw out their names to you because I want you to seek them out. Uh, invite them over Go out to lunch with them, or maybe it'd be easier if you went over to their house, but invite yourself over to their house. Um, they would love to hang out with you and talk with you and just ask them their story. Ask them how God led them to that place of adoption, because all of them have very different stories, uh, but they stepped out and trusted God with that. So a couple of things, obviously, C. Young and Sarah that you just saw in the video, uh, Rusty and Amy Hutchison, who are newer to our church. They're, not, they're out of town this weekend, uh, but they're becoming members at our church. They've got two children that they've adopted into their home. Eric and Melanie Taylor, uh, you can ask them. They have walked through adoption. Scott and Katie McKenney have walked through adoption. Would love to talk with you and share their stories with you and how God led them to that place. I just want to encourage you to do that. My family has been in the adoption process for what seems like forever, uh, but we're still in that process. My wife Amy has worked in international adoption for some eight years or so, and so all of us, we would love to talk with you about that and just help you to understand it more of the burden we believe God's given us in caring for orphans and adoption. Uh, so seek those folks out. Second thing, Partner with orphan care organizations. There are many great organizations all over the world right now who are doing global orphan care. As I said, there are over 100 million orphans, and a lot of those kids are not ever going to be in a place to be adopted into a family. 
But God's word tells us in James chapter 1 to go visit those orphans, to be present with them, to care for them, to show them the love of Christ in a tangible way. And so I want to invite you and encourage you to look some of those organizations up and seek to partner with them. I'll give you three as some options to start to look into. The first is an organization called Lifesong. And you can use Google. You can look all these up. Lifesong. The second one is called 127 Worldwide. 127 Worldwide are doing stuff all over the world. And the last one is an organization called Storyteller Missions, where you can actually go and seek to spend time with orphans and then come back and advocate for them here in the state. So partner with orphan care organizations. The third thing is pursue adoption. Maybe some of you this morning have been thinking about this. Maybe this is the first time you've ever thought about, man, is God calling me to do this? Is he calling us to do this? And again, whether you're single or married, you can start to find out information about what it looks like to actually pursue adoption, whether uh, globally, internationally, or domestically. There's lots of organizations and agencies that you can find information out with. I just want to refer you to two this morning, both that are in this area. One is called Bethany Christian Services. And the other one's called America, America World Adoption. Bethany Christian Services primarily does uh, domestic adoptions, and America World primarily does international adoptions. And you can go on their sites, and you can find out more information and take that step to pursue adoption. Just as you heard the Lees, they didn't know right at the beginning. They just started to think and pray about it, and they started to take steps to look into if God might be doing this in their lives. And so you can talk with them again about that. The fourth thing is foster care. There is a great need for foster families in Fairfax, in Fairfax County. A lot of the foster children in the foster care system in Fairfax get moved out to other counties because there's not enough families here in Fairfax to bring them into homes. Man, can we change that as a church? And again, maybe that's terrifying for you, maybe that's scary for you, but I just want to encourage you just to take that next step. Go to an information session and learn about what it looked like for you to become a foster family. You can do that through Fairfax uh, County's foster care and adoption arm or through Northern Virginia Family Services. Both are great options just to learn and take that step towards foster care. The fifth thing, support people. Support people who are adopting or fostering. This isn't something to be done alone. Nothing we do as a church is about being a bunch of disconnected individuals. We are a family together. And so when someone takes that step to pursue adoption, when someone takes that step to welcome a child into their home that's in foster care, we need to come alongside of them and support them and care for them. Maybe you don't know what that means or looks like. Ask, ask, how can I help? How can I serve you? As you heard the Lees say, their community group was so critical in their journey to bringing Jack home. So support people. A lot of times uh, adoption is expensive, there's a, there's a high cost to it financially, so consider physically supporting them financially, um, donating financially to them. At Sojourn, we've created a Sojourn Adoption Fund that has several thousand dollars in it that's, that's there to be used to help uh, take the burden of some of those financial, um, the financial burdens that families have. So consider donating directly towards that. If you don't know someone who's actually adopting right now, it's just to donate directly towards that fund so that we can dispatch those resources when uh, the time comes. The sixth way that you can get involved is just to serve at a crisis pregnancy center. A lot of times we don't maybe think about the fact that those children in the womb, in some regards, are effective orphans if their moms aren't sure uh, what they're going to do. And if they're heading down the road towards abortion, we can come and we can serve them and tell them there's another way. There's another way. We want to care for you and we want to care for your unborn child. And so consider uh, uh, serving at, volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center. There's two 
that I'd refer you to. The first is Sanctity of Life Ministries here in Fairfax, and the second is Assist Pregnancy Center in Annandale. Both are gospel-centered, Christ-centered organizations uh, that seek to care for those ladies and their kids. The seventh is just learn more. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard anything about uh, orphan care or adoption or foster care, and you're like, whoa, this is a whole lot. I don't even know where to begin. That's totally fine. Um, That's okay. But I want to encourage you just to take another step just to learn a little bit more. There's a great website called Christian Alliance for Orphans. Uh, it's CAFO.org, CAFO.org. They've got all kinds of informations about, uh, informations, information about global orphan care, about foster care and adoption. Uh, and so you can go on their site and just learn more about those things. I also encourage you to pick up a book. There's a book that uh, a guy named Russell Moore wrote a few years ago called Adopted for Life. And it, it talks about the gospel, a lot of what we talked about this morning, but also the reality of his own story and pursuing adoption in and through his family. And that was pretty transformative for Amy and I as we read that several years ago and we began our adoption journey. So I encourage you to pick up that book, Adopted for Life. Consider reading it with somebody else and talking about it. And lastly, number eight is just to pray. Just to pray. Look back at verse eight in Psalm 82. At the end of this psalm, it says this, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So God's been talking, he's been giving this rebuke, he's been giving this encouragement and call, but then the psalmist at the end is is appealing to God, arise, O God. God, would you do something about this? So we need to remember that in the midst of all this, we need to plea with God to move and act and bring about justice for the weak and the fatherless and ask him how we can be a part of that, to pray for kids that are waiting to get into homes to, to pray for families that are in the process of adopting. This, the nations belong to the Lord. He cares about every single person who bears his image. And so we can go to him in prayer and ask him to move in those ways to care for the weak and the fatherless. Listen, that's a lot of different things. And so if you need that info, if you didn't get to write all that down or you want a little bit more, uh, just shoot me an email. My contact information is in our bulletin. It's on our website. I'd love to pass any of these resources on to you or just to discuss them more with you to help you get involved. Listen, no matter where you're at in life, you can do this. You can make adoption and orphan care a part of your life right now. Whether you're married or you're single, whether you desire to have kids right now or not, whatever, wherever you happen to me, be. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't mean that God will necessarily lead you to actually adopt, but He's still calling you to be a participant in caring for the fatherless. So let's be a community so shaped by, so marked by the mercy and grace of our God who adopted us into his family that we are ready with arms open wide to welcome orphans into our church family and to support one another in doing so. And when the world looks at us and it scratches its head and asks us why, we can confidently testify because that's where I was and my God came for me. He came for me. See, our world and our culture are an interesting and sometimes scary place as we look at the world around us. We live in a very me-centered world, a me-centered world that I believe gives a lot of lip service to love, but not always a lot of action. Because often, mostly what we're focused on is advancing our own personal agendas and what's good for us. But listen, that's not the way of our king. That's not the way of Jesus who called us to love others more than we love ourselves. It's a challenging time, even with the leadership in our own country and world, and we may struggle with that, but listen, we as the church can be a city on a hill. 
We can be a beacon to shine forth the light of the gospel as we take up the cause of the heart of our God to care for people that no one else really cares about. We can be culture shapers. We, you, right now in your seat, you can be a culture shaper, but it's not through being loud and with your voice or droning rhetoric. The church is getting moved more and more to the margins of society, but that's okay because that's where we get to make much of Jesus. That's where the early church was, is they cared for those kids abandoned on the sides of hills. We can be margin dwellers who use our hands and our feet to change the lives of the least of these, the weak and the fatherless. So ask yourself, how might God use me? How might he use us as a church to do that? By God's grace, we can be the church to the glory of God and for the good of others. We can be the hands that embody the heart of our God. We're going to come to the communion table now. And we're coming uh, together to partake in a sacred meal that really draws us closer to the presence of God. As we eat the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for us, and drink the cup, a picture of Christ's blood shed for us. This is a family meal. We collectively come to the table and eat and drink together. It's a meal that reminds you this morning that you were once fatherless. You were a spiritual orphan in this world, lost, but that God came to you. And he purposed to bring you into his family through his son so that he might call you son, that he might call you daughter. And so as you eat and drink this morning, may it just compel you to worship. May it compel you by the power of God's Spirit through this meal to become the hands that embody the heart of your God. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I would just ask you just to hang out in your seat. Don't come forward this morning to eat of this meal. Uh, It doesn't do anything for you. This doesn't bring you into the family of God. It's a testimony that you already are in the family of God. And so if you don't yet know Christ, I just ask you to hang out in your seat and We want you to take Jesus. We want you to experience his grace this morning. Maybe you know you need God to be your father. Maybe you know that you've been separated from him because of your sin, but Christ has made a way for you. So just hang out in your seat. Pray that God would save you today, that you could be adopted into God's family and be a part of this family and celebrating this meal next week. If you have questions about what it means to know and follow Jesus, please come talk to me or any of our other leaders today. We'd love to talk and pray with you. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back, tear off a piece of bread and take one of the small cups to drink. And what Jesus has done for you to bring you into God's family will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning and we give you thanks. We give you praise that you have adopted us into your family at great cost to yourself through sending your one and only son to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, to bear the weight of your wrath, not for his sin, but for ours, and to raise him again from the grave so that you could welcome us into your family, that we could be co-heirs with Christ now and forever. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us now to, to rest in that reality, to see your heart for the fatherless, and that you would help us to be a people who use our hands, our voices, our resources to care for orphans all over the world, to care for the fatherless, to care for the voiceless. Lord, I pray that you would mobilize us to be sojourners, to be kingdom people here and now, to give glory and praise, that testify that once we were strangers with no hope, we were lost and abandoned, but you welcomed us in. May we do the same for those who need the same. We praise your name. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.